0: Today we are hearing from Hosea in our journey of looking at the Old Testament prophets this summer and especially looking at how those prophets were used or not used by the writers of the New Testament or by Jesus. Not all the prophets get quoted in the New Testament, but most of them do. And there's a few of them that Jesus does quote directly and Hosea is one that Jesus quotes directly and we'll get to that. Uh, in a bit as I uh, go through the reading. Uh, I want to give you a, just some background here of where Hosea fits uh, in the scheme of things and in the history of things. Uh, we read from the prophet Amos last week and Amos was a, a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, remember about the year 900 BC, the country of Israel splits into two. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel southern kingdom became Judah, Jerusalem was in Judah, and Israel's uh, had to choose a new capital, and that became uh, Samaria, uh, was the, the name of Israel's capital. And so Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom, and Hosea also a prophet uh, to the northern kingdom, and about the same time, they're in the mid-700s, uh, Hosea maybe 750, uh, until after Assyria has conquered the nation of Israel, and it ceases to exist. Uh, around the year 720, so Hosea, uh, maybe 25, 30 years uh, that he was preaching. Uh, and Hosea is actually, uh, of all the Old Testament prophets we have, Hosea is the only true native uh, Israel born, that northern kingdom born prophet. Uh, partly, as I mentioned, Assyria uh, takes over the country during Hosea's lifetime, so there is no Israel left after that, and the rest of the prophets are all uh, coming out of Judah. Uh, Amos was very prophetic against the lack of mercy toward the poor uh, and the downtrodden in Israel. That was uh, his, his big thing. And he was also against uh, some of the empty ritual, the religious rituals that were going on and, and, uh, and against a religion that was often used to the, to the detriment of the poor. And, and Hosea preaches about those a little bit. They, kind of, they show up somewhat uh, in, his, in his prophetic utterances. But what Hosea is really cranked off about, uh, and, and Hosea really is just angry. I, comes, you can hear it in his words. When he's angry, he is fully angry. He is really uh, cranked off. This is like the best word I can think of. Uh, incredibly upset that the country has basically abandoned God. They've given up God. They're chasing after uh, Canaanite fertility deities, uh, these deities that were indigenous to the people in the land that God had given them and, and these gods being worshipped by some of the surrounding nations. The Israelite people had forgotten about God, the God who saved them from Egypt, the God of Abraham, you know, the God that had taken them through the wilderness and given them the land that they now occupy uh, they were ignoring God and that uh, gets them very upset and Hosea also is very upset at the political uh, structure and the political times and especially Hosea is really hearkening back to the time when the Hebrew people were tribal and he had the 12 tribes and it was this very kind of horizontal um, I don't know how you uh, formation or They didn't have a king. It was just they had the tribal leaders, but they kind of did everything together. Uh, Power was shared in a sense sort of equally in a horizontal way and with covenant with God and God set above the people, God is the king, but the people had cried out for a king repeatedly. And even though God said, you shouldn't have one, you shouldn't have one. Uh, Finally, God relented and gave them Saul and then David and Solomon. And it was after Solomon that the country split into two. Uh, and so, Jose is also very upset that the people have given up having God as their leader and have done, uh, given God up in favor of a hereditary monarchy. Uh, the kind of thing that we here in the United States rebelled against in our revolution this idea that leaders, if one guy's a great leader, then his son ought to be the next one or his daughter. Uh, And and Hosea also lived during a time of uh, a few violent coups against the king. uh, And he's upset about that. And then as Assyria, the northern kingdom became a power and was starting to threaten. uh, Israel was making uh, deals with surrounding nations to try to fend off Assyria. And then uh, was also giving bribes to Assyria not to attack. And eventually, uh, that just didn't work. And Assyria eventually did take over Uh, And and Hosea is also, much of his ministry comes at a time when Israel was at relative peace until until Assyria. Uh, Israel and the surrounding countries, not a lot of war going on. Economically, they were doing very well. At least the rich were doing very well. The poor were doing very horrible because the rich were keeping most everything. But as a country, economically, things were in pretty good shape. And so Hosea comes in the midst of that to give the people a warning uh, that they need to return to God. And so I'm going to read out of Hosea now, but before I do, I am going to offer a a bit of a warning, which I don't normally do before reading scripture. Uh, But this first chapter of Hosea and a couple other times, he uses some pretty strong language, uh, language that we would not normally use in church. Uh, But it is scripture, and that's the way it's written. And and it may be uncomfortable, but that's what Hosea was shooting for. He wanted to make the people uncomfortable, to expose to them kind of what they're doing. And in this first chapter, he he basically uh, equates them to adulterers and philanderers that they have given up God. They are breaking that covenant, which equates to marriage and the running after all of these other gods. But he uses some strong language here, so I apologize, but it is scripture and that's what we have. So, I'm going to read from the first chapter here. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea son of Beeri in the days of King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah, that's the southern kingdom. And in the days of King Jeroboam, son of Joash of Israel, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go and take yourself, go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord." And so he went and took Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived, and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, "Name him Jezreel." It's a name that means God sows. Name him God sows, for in a little while I will punish the house of Yehu for the blood of Jezreel. Uh, Jezreel was also a, a battle place. Uh, king Yehu was Jeroboam's grandfather, uh, and he committed atrocities there to maintain his power. And so Hosea is speaking against, in a sense, Jeroboam, uh, the king. In a little while, I will punish the house of Yehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Note that this time there's no mention of Hosea being part of that conception. Then the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not pitied. Name her not pitied, for I will no longer have pity on the house of Israel or forgive them. But I will have pity on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned, not pitied, she conceived and bore a son. Again, no mention of Hosea. Then the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Name him not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is some severe stuff coming from Hosea here, speaking out against the people for chasing after other gods. And I mentioned last week that some prophets also do their their prophetic work through symbolic action, very much what Hosea does here by marrying Gomer. But for all the strength of Hosea 's invective, he also has some of what I think are the most beautiful, passionate, tender passages about god 's love and redemption and reconciliation. I, Hosea was a very literate, knew Israel's history very well uh, and was a very good writer, lots of metaphor and imagery in his writing. And so listen to how he ends this first chapter. There's been all this, this judgment here. And he goes on. Yet the number of the people of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which can be neither measured nor numbered. That's the covenant with Abraham, to make your descendants as the sands of the sea or as the stars in the sky. And in the place where it was said to them, you were not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall take possession of the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So even immediately Hosea is offering these words of redemption and that there is grace to come. Prophets, uh, the judgment is always an if then. If you continue to do these bad things, then there will be destruction. But if you repent, then it won't happen. Uh, and the people rarely repent. So often uh, the judgment and destruction comes and the prophets are always, even when that comes, you will not be fully destroyed. The covenant with Abraham, the promise to Abraham will always be maintained. There will always be a bringing back of the people. There will always be grace, always forgiveness. Uh, and then Hosea goes on for a few more Chapters uh, about their uh, adultery and uh, bad things they're doing with the other gods. And then you come to chapter 6 and calls for the people to repent. And so of this chapter that uh, Jesus quotes a verse from here that we read in Matthew. This is a call to repentance. Come, let us return to the Lord, for it is he who has torn and he will heal us. He has struck down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revise us, revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. It brings back images of Jonah uh, and foreshadowing Jesus. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His appearing is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the showers, like the spring rains that water the earth. And then God speaks a lament. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? It's another word for Israel. What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud. It's like the dew that goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have killed them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That's what Jesus quoted when he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God doesn't want sacrifice or empty rituals. God wants steadfast love and mercy and compassion. But at Adam, they transgressed The covenant, Uh, Adam was a city near where they crossed over the Jordan to come into the promised land. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for someone, so the priests are banded together. They murder on the road to Shechem. They commit a monstrous crime. Even the priests were robbing pilgrims on their way to the holy shrine. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there, Israel is defiled, and for you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. God is speaking through Hosea here and keeps going back and forth between this incredible anger at the people with massive amounts of destructive judgment that's going to be brought against them, but also these moments of tenderness and love. And one of the chapters that really hits and talks about God's love is chapter 11, which in our three-year lectionary cycle is the only passage out of Hosea that we read is chapter 11. Uh, And that's another reason that we're looking at the prophets this summer is because we read so little from them uh, when we stick to the lectionary text. Uh, And it's unfortunate because the prophets are the ones, uh, these Old Testament prophets, they're the ones that reformed the faith, that called the people back to faithfulness. And and the prophets are the ones who at a time of war and as the people went into exile and came back, it was the prophets who kept the story alive, who kept the hope alive, who helped them remember who they are and kept them pointed toward God all the time. And so the prophets are incredibly important. That's the Judaism that Jesus knew was the Judaism that the prophets saved and kept. And so the New Testament writers quote from the prophets a lot. They show up a lot in the New Testament. Uh, And so I think it's important to know some of these texts. And one of these uh, important texts is chapter 11, uh, because there's also mention perhaps of a Messiah. And that's also something that the prophets talked about, was giving the people the hope that God would come. Not just that the people would be restored as a country, but that God would come and truly redeem them. Uh, and that the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, would come. And we get a little bit of that in chapter 11. This first verse is, uh, was quoted at the end of that first Matthew passage about Jesus and Joseph and Mary going to Egypt. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And Israel was also Jacob. There was a man named Israel, Jacob, who was the father of the 12 tribes. And Jacob and his sons ended up in Egypt during a time of famine and were invited there by the Pharaoh, but over the years became the slaves, and that is when God rescued them. So this could be literally when Israel was a child, I loved him out of Egypt, I called my son, I called my nation out of Egypt. But it's also a reference to Jesus as Matthew uses it, that he and his family fled to Egypt and then came out in order to fulfill this verse. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals, those are the fertility deities, and offering incense to idols. And hear this the way that God speaks here. Yet it was I who taught Israel to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. And they shall return to the land of Egypt and Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the most high they call, but he does not raise them up at all. So there will be some judgment. Assyria will uh, take over the country and some of uh, Israelites Did end up in Egypt as well as many other places. But God continues How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? These are two cities that were destroyed. My heart recoils within me, my compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Israel, for I am God and no mortal. The Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their home says the Lord. They shall come back from exile and the country shall be rebuilt. So return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all guilt, except that which is good, and we will offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, We will not ride upon horses. We will say no more our God to the works of our hands. We shall no longer rely on the military. We shall no longer make idols. In you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their disloyalty. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall strike root like the forests of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive tree and his fragrance like that of Lebanon. They shall again live beneath my shadow. They shall flourish as a garden. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fragrance shall be like the wine of Lebanon. There will be restoration. And I firmly believe that God does not work in in destruction or wrath or laying waste or judge us by letting attacks or natural disasters happen. I I think that kind of thinking is an abuse of Scripture and I cringe whenever I I see these guys on TV or uh, read in the newspaper about people who are preaching that kind of message. I don't think that God works that way. Because God has given us the final answer to all of that destruction and judgment in, in Jesus. When God came to earth. That answer of unlimited grace and forgiveness to say to us, this is not the way it's going to be anymore. Not the way it's going to be anymore. God came to us personally after we ignored hundreds of years of Prophets, none of these prophets were taken very seriously in their own time. After we ignored hundreds of years of prophets, God said, well, maybe, maybe if I come myself, they'll listen to me. And so God did. God came to share our common lot and to show us the extent of God's love so we don't have to fear God's retaliation or reigning death on us, or sending us into exile, or destroying our country, or destroying the world, God may let us do some of that, Uh, let us punish ourselves for our own foibles, but God is not going to do that. And certainly we do go after other gods as the people in Hosea's time, and in Hosea's time they were going after these very uh, real fertility gods. Uh, but they also had issues, just as we do, with following the gods of money. Uh, uh, and greed and convenience, taking the easy path of ignoring the neighbor, of ignoring the poor, of uh, self-congratulations, of thinking that they had formed the country by themselves, not with God's help, or that they had what they had because of their own merit or their own cleverness, not because it was a gift from God. And so it's good to keep reading and hearing again, I think, from these prophets because they still speak to us. Even though we're not Hebrew people of 2,700 years ago, we're very much like them in chasing after other gods, thinking that they can save us, even though it was God through Jesus who saved us. It was God through Jesus who, rec- uh, rescues, who rescued and rescues us. From the Egypt of our shame and our guilt, and we still make alliances of convenience or make alliances with people or things or ideas that will betray us instead of staying faithful to the one God who has made an everlasting covenant with us a covenant of grace and forgiveness and love that says that we need never be afraid of God's wrath again because we have only the promise. Of God's love. And that because of that promise, we can live as, as we say every Advent, as we light the candles around the Advent wreath. We need never fear God because we can live in hope, in peace, in joy, and in love. The love of Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God. Amen.